welcome to Bonnets at Dawn, the show that explores the lives and works of women writers from the 18th, 19th, and 20th centuries. I am your host, Lauren Burke. And I'm your host, Hannah Chapman. And before we get started with the show today, I'm just going to acknowledge the sort of weird world that we are all living in. And I just want to thank a lot of you guys for your awesome messages via the internet over the past few days. Um, I hope this show is bringing a little bit of just like comfort and joy to some of you and just thinking of you all. And I hope you guys are hanging in there. So now, should we jump into some uh, Northanger Abbey? So this week, we are closing the book on our Northanger Abbey read-along. We're going to share some listener comments and recap the final chapters, which are 25 through 31. And they open with this great line, the visions of romance were over. Yikes. Love it. The yikes isn't in there. I added. <laughs> I added add that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Love that line. Think it should go on a greeting card. Oh, yeah. Like a sorry to hear about oh, your like breakup. A, sorry to hear about your divorce. It's <laughs> a good like divorce card. Let's just make that card. That'll okay. be available like, on bonnetsatdawn.com, guys. Really good like alternative because everyone's like, oh, I was in the, well, I was trying to think of a good romantic Austin line and I couldn't think <laughs> of one. If I loved you less, maybe I could talk about it more. And we're like, the visions of romance are over. Yeah. That's very on brand for us, I think. Yeah. So chapters 25 through 31. Let's get started. Okay. So chapter 25. Catherine is totally mortified after her conversation with Henry, which, you know, as she should she be. She should be. Yeah. And then she begins to trace all of her misfortune back to all that gothic literature that she's been reading or not reading or mm-hmm. misreading. And um, I've been thinking about this one line quite a bit. OK, so the line is this one's not good for a greeting card. <laughs> just just to warn you. Charming as were all Mrs. Radcliffe's works, and charming even as were the works of all her imitators, it was not in them perhaps that human nature, at least in the Midland of counties of England, were to be looked for. I feel like I just butchered that line. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tricky line. It seems it a bit rude of Catherine, though. She's like, I'm not going to like find how to live my life in these books. And right. Like, you didn't even read it, bitch. <laughs> Maybe if you had. (laughs) Maybe. So this line, um, it reads a lot like a lesson. But, you know, we had talked about this earlier. Like, it's really meant to be ironic, right? Yeah, I think a lot of the stuff in this book is you shouldn't be taking what the characters or even the narrator is saying at face value. I think it's quite a sarcastic book. Yes. Because it reminds me of the ways that Catherine parallels Emily in Udolpho. So, okay, sidetracking the episode, very long, long story short, in Udolpho, the orphan Emily goes to live with her aunt, who ends up marrying a guy named Montoni. Before marriage, Montoni is all charm, just like this general guy, right? Um, And that is because he is trying to get his hands on this great fortune that he believes the aunt has. Now, after marriage, he is furious because not only does she have the money that she says she did, um, but she also would have to like sign away her estates to her husband. And uh, she's not really up for that. So he threatens her 
she disappears. Emily goes full Catherine and suspects Montoni of murdering her. But really, he's just imprisoned her with the hopes of convincing her to sign over those papers. He's not a murderer, but he is a manipulator. The general is not a murderer, but he is a manipulator. Like he's been trying to maneuver Catherine and this great fortune into, you know, Henry's direction. I know that he doesn't have to work super hard because she is totally DTF, but um, still, his motives are the same. And if Catherine knew that the general thought her this great heiress and also had read Udolpho properly, she might have had a realization here. That's all I'm saying. Um, so moving on, other things that happen in this chapter. Henry, to his credit, I will say, does just seem to move past the fact that Catherine suspects his dad of murder. Yeah. And she's really like allowed to process her embarrassment in her own time. <laughs> Which I think is also hard to read as well. You're just like, oh, yeah, I know. You feel bad. Okay. Um, And then she gets a letter from James telling her that the engagement to Isabella is off. And he tells her that he expects that Captain Tilney will announce his engagement to Isabella very, very soon. So big old scandal. And uh, when Catherine shares this news with Eleanor and Henry, they're like, Catherine honey, this is not happening. That's a great scene, actually. Yeah, I really... But again, just... It's just more of the same, isn't it? People are just Mm -hmm. like, Catherine, sound out. Come on. Yeah. But uh, there is, yeah, there is one exchange in this scene that it just... I really enjoy it. Uh, So Henry says, prepare for your sister-in-law, Eleanor, and such a sister-in-law as you must delight in open, candid, artless, guileless, with affection strong but simple, forming no pretensions and knowing no disguise. And Eleanor says, uh, such a sister-in-law, Henry, I should delight in. And she says it with a smile. And no one responds to it. And she's totally like stirring the pot. Like, (laughs) oh, Henry, (laughs) Catherine. Because he's describing Catherine. Sarcastically trying to describe Isabella and Eleanor's just like, mate, you're chatting shit. I know you fancy Catherine. Yeah, yeah. It's just funny. Like, yeah. And it it does remind me of the bit from the last set of chapters, just where Isabella says, there are more than one way of our being sisters. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like a thing that keeps happening. It's this like, um, th- it's not just a friendship bond, is it? With Isabella and Eleanor. It's the, the promise of sisterhood. It's family. And I think that's why, uh, I think that's one of the things that's getting played with. It isn't just, it isn't just friendship, it's family and how you behave to potential family members and, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I like, I'm really interested in anything that Eleanor and Isabella do or like mirror each other in. So Mm -hmm. the fact that they both are like making sister comments. Yeah. I like that. There's also another bit in that scene where Catherine is like nagging Henry, like get your brother to tell your your father the whole story. And he's he's like, oh God, I can't remember. It's such a clever wordplay and I'm not going to look it up, but it's just something along the lines of like, he's only going to tell half the story. Like you've got to like help your father see the whole picture. And Henry's just like, he only needs a quarter of the picture. <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> he also it. says, yeah, so uh, Catherine's also like, oh, you know, 
Like, um, she really likes, she must really like Captain Tilney if she's going to leave my brother for him. She must really <laughs> yeah. like him. And so now that she's with him, I'm sure she's going to be like totally fine and constant. And Henry's right. like, yeah, I'm afraid she will be constant unless a baronet came her way. That's Frederick's only chance. And then he goes, I will get the bath paper and look over the arrivals. <laughs> like she's, she's just trying to have this really like, she's upset and he's just like, yeah. yeah, let me go and check the newspaper and see if any wealthy men are in town for Isabella to go and flirt with. It's so, it's funny. It's funny. <laughs> so I do love this scene, but Catherine is definitely all over the place here. Like on one hand, you have Henry and Eleanor who are also like sizing up Isabella's fortune, like in the fashion, like their, you know, their father has taught them to do this. This is the mindset mm-hmm. that they're in. But of course they're, they're joking about it. And Catherine is all like, um, oh, I do not believe Isabella has any fortune, but your father won't mind. And they're like, um, have you met him? Like, what yeah. are you talking about? It just like, that was the scene I think I was like, Catherine, still not getting it. You've been all over this man's house. You've seen all of his improvements. You've heard him bang on constantly about money. And she's like, no, no, no. He's he's so generous. He, he doesn't care about <laughs> things like that. <laughs> but it's also funny. Like, that's she is kind of telling on herself in that scene, too. Like, she's basically saying, like, I don't have any money. And like, and he likes me just fine. <laughs> yeah. So in chapter 26, we make a visit to Woodston, which is Henry's home from home. So it's um, the parish that he's the curate mm-hmm. of. You'd think by now I'd like understand all of these, how it all worked, but I don't. Um, yeah, so Henry's- He's some sort of preacher. Henry's- We don't know what kind. Little house and church are in Woodston. <laughs> and it's just proposed as almost like this fun day out by the general. And the whole back and forth about it, it's like, oh, you know, we'll just come anytime. And then actually, I think the general is kind of the guy that you want to make plans with because he's just like, oh, anytime's fine, but not Monday because I'm busy, not Tuesday because I'm (laughs) busy. Uh, We'll come at Wednesday. Mm, We should probably leave at this time because of this thing. Okay, we'll be there at this time and we're going to eat. Any food is fine. Like, so the only thing which is tricky is the general keeps saying he doesn't really care about like what food they have to eat. And then Henry is immediately like, I've got to order a great meal because my dad is picky. Right. So he's just doing his like bossy, officious thing. So they're all going to go. And uh, but then Henry is called away on urgent business two days earlier than planned. And Catherine cannot help feeling robbed. And there's this great line from Saturday to Wednesday. However, they were now to be without Henry. This was the sad finale of every reflection and Captain Tilney's letter would certainly come in his absence and Wednesday she was very sure would be wet. The past, present and future were all equally in gloom. Yeah, I just I highlighted that line too. I really, it's just like Wednesday she was sure would be wet. It's just like, you know, when your friend is just like, oh, and I'm ill. Oh, and it's going to rain on next week. It's just going to rain. And you're like, you don't know what the weather is. Come on, <laughs> check your weather app. I feel like this should be on another greeting card as well. The past, past present, present, and future are all equally in gleam. <laughs> That's what the inside says. Yes. The visions a of very... romance are over. And then, <laughs> yeah. I mean, or we can get these ready. A neck tattoo. 
I'll keep yeah. I'll keep trying. Okay. Yeah, keep going for it. So um they do go to Woodston and it's like a nice scene. It's not very long, is it? It's like mm-hmm. this one chapter. And I think the sense that you get is Catherine is she's quite overwhelmed by the whole thing. You know, she struggles to really say anything because she just she thinks it's pretty. She likes the house. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't go into it a huge deal, but I think the um the impression that I get of what's happening to Catherine is that she's envisaging her own life there. Yes. And what it's going to be like, but it doesn't like go into it. It's not like, and Catherine stood by the fireplace and thought, wouldn't it be nice to fry some sausages for my husband? <laughs> you know, so it's, it's really yeah. rich with the... feeling and emotion, that whole bit. Um, yeah, it's lovely. You get the sense that they would make a decent match mm-hmm. to yeah. in that house as well. It does feel like, these are two people who are on the level. Yeah, definitely. And then there's a great bit where the general is like, uh, we're not calling it a good house. Mm-hmm. And I was reading it and I was like, oh, it's not a great house. It's an all right <laughs> house. And again, I was just like, me and the general, busy mates. Yeah, you guys would get on just fine. <laughs> I think I like this guy. <laughs> I'm not surprised. So now, chapter 27, Catherine finally gets this letter from Isabella that she has been waiting for. And um, it's a doozy, isn't it? It's a good one. Oh, it's a great letter. I want to get a letter like this one day. So I do love this letter. Um, I commented about it in the Facebook group. I said, uh, you know, it's so bold because Isabella is just like, hey, Will you just, you know, clean up my mess? Also, hats, friends, love ya, bye. Um, Here's the actual quote. She says, I'm quite uneasy about your dear brother, not having heard from him since he went to Oxford, and I'm fearful of some misunderstanding. Your kind offices will set all right. He is the only man I ever did or could love, and I trust that you will convince him of it. The spring fashions are partly down, which I learned means from down from London. Um, and the hats are the most frightful you can imagine. Kisses. I added that part, but that's very Isabella. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I do. I, I love that whole letter. So good. And also this footnote from uh, Susan Wolfson. In a novel that satirizes reading and misreading of information, people and prospects, the two letters, the one from James and the one from Isabella, pose text, not just to Catherine, but also to us. Um, so essentially, just kind of like comparing and contrasting these two letters and trying to get the story from both. Because mm. both have it wrong, right? Like James is like, she's going to be with Captain Tilney. They're going to ride over to Northanger Abbey and they're going to be engaged and happy. And I'm like the saddest boy in all the land. And Isabella's like, oh, hey, there's some sort of weird misunderstanding between me and your brother. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, neither of these letters like have the truth. And you have to sort of like put all of the pieces together based on like what you know about Isabella, based on what you know about James, just like read between the lines. As much as I dislike James, he's doing a bit of a Catherine, right? So James would never flirt with and steal away a young woman from someone else right he Mm -hmm. wouldn't do it and so he's also and we don't get it as much but I I do think he genuinely thinks that 
if this Isabella and Captain Tilney thing has been going on as publicly as it has, that it's going to end in some kind of a marriage. So I do get why his assumption is like, oh, this is definitely happening. But yeah, again, you've got a Morland who's like, Captain Tilney, and you just need Henry and Eleanor to be like, no, guys, listen, not going to happen. Never going to, it's not happening. He just needs to be Henry's friend instead of, instead of John's, because Henry would have just taken him aside and just been like, mate, you've got to let her go. Yeah. You can't, well, you're right. James is just like Catherine and like, he can't read Isabella just like Catherine can't read. Yeah, he just doesn't expect it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so I think for me, this was the point where I was really like, Catherine, you are winding me up. And I, I just, I lost my patience with her because there is another conversation about whether or not Isabella is, you know, like, how can she do this? How can she say this? What about your brother? Like, yeah. why isn't he marrying her? And by this point, I was just like, we need to edit the book because I think this conversation's happened three times. Yeah. Or maybe yeah, four. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. With between the same characters, with the same stuff being said, and she's just not getting it, and she's not getting it. And it's like, oh my God. Yeah, there needs to be an awakening right here. <laughs> yeah. Or like just less before. Or like make the other conversation shorter. At the beginning of chapter 28, the general leaves Northanger for London and Catherine starts to think it might be time she brought her holiday to an end because she's been there for, I think, four weeks, around a month. And she goes to Eleanor and she's like, hey, I think it's time for me to go. I've been here so long. And Eleanor's like, if you think that you have been here for a long time, then maybe you should leave. And I was like, you do need to calm down. Because <laughs> again, she's just like, these misunderstandings these two girls have. It's so funny. But yeah, so she's Hilarious. persuaded to stay. Eleanor's like, no, I, you know, I actually thought you were going to stay for like two months. So please just stay. And it's all great. Mm-hmm. It's all nice. Lovely. And so... Catherine, I think understandably, is feeling pretty content, right? She's got her feet under the rug. Have you, is that a phrase? She's... Under the, because <laughs> I, when I was writing the notes, I wrote under the rug and I thought maybe it's not real. I have not heard it. I've heard the, the rug pulled out from under you. Yeah, but if you've got your feet under but the you're rug, like planted. it's like. You're like planted, you're rooted. You're comfortable and you can't mm. have the rug pulled from under you because it's you're true. already under it maybe it's except what she, it except means except she's gonna except she's gonna Ex- well and that's and that's the dramatic surprise of having <laughs> your feet under the rug anyway i thought it was a thing but i guess not um so there's this cute catherine line she did almost always believe that henry loved her and quite always that his father and sister loved and even wished her to belong to them and believing so far her doubts and anxieties were merely sportive irritations yeah i like she's like you know it's fine she's not fussed she can almost she almost always believes that her crush likes her back but she's like goddamn positive dad likes me sis likes me yeah it's probably <laughs> fine i like like yeah. that confidence she's just like yeah this she's- is gonna work out got my feet under the rug yeah <laughs> she's gonna make it unfortunately henry isn't able to stick around because he's got that whole like work-life balance thing going on so he's mm-hmm. got to go back mm-hmm. to Winston. 
Things are a little less lively, but they're not like any less comfortable. Her and Eleanor get on really nicely. It's fine. Henry's not there chatting shit. It's quiet. I guess they can read or so. I don't know what they're doing. But then one evening there is a sudden arrival. Uh, Catherine's just about to go to bed. It's 11 o'clock at night and she's like, it's that shitbag brother, Captain Tilney. I'm just (laughs) going to go to bed. It's too late. I don't want to deal with his shit. I'll deal with it tomorrow. So she just goes to bed. But it isn't Captain Tilney. It's another shithead. It's the general. And he's turfing her out and it's time to go. Except he's not the one that tells her. It's Eleanor. So there's a knock at her door. Eleanor comes in, delivering the news. And it does strike me that this is the one time, the only time in the book that the general actually lets Eleanor speak. And Mm -hmm. is like speaking through her instead of setting it up and then talking over her. And it's when he's sending Catherine away. And it's not like not sending her away in a week or in a couple of days, but like the very next morning. And it's bad. And I think sometimes, definitely the first time I read it, I like the weight of it didn't hit me too much. I was mm-hmm. like, well, he's sending her away. You know, it's not nice. It's not a nice thing to do. So Eleanor lays it out for the reader, like why it's a bad thing. She says, after courting you from the protection of real friends to this almost double distance from your home to have you driven out of the house without the considerations even of decent civility, were your friends the Allens still in Bath, then you might go to them with comparative ease. A few hours would take you there, but a journey of 70 miles to be taken post by you at your age, alone, unattended. And it's like, oh, like that last yeah. line, at your age, alone, unattended. And Catherine kind of doesn't say anything. She's just like, it would have been nice to know. I wish I could have told my parents. Yeah, she really takes it on the chin. Yeah. Isn't it interesting in the scene how the general is totally fine with letting Eleanor do all the talking um, as long as she's doing his dirty work. Um, Also, Eleanor lending Catherine her own money. Crazy. Yeah, and I mean, typical Catherine, she doesn't think about it until the next day that like the general hasn't said anything about paying it. And then she's like, oh yeah, I guess I'll need some money. Because Ellen's like, can you (laughs) afford this? Her dad gave her 10 guineas like six months ago or something. Like, However, she's been away a while. Her dad's like, here's 50p. I don't know how much 10 guineas is, but it ain't enough. I was thinking, however, that like maybe this carriage ride home though is like a missed opportunity like not only for some action because i think that's what like i struggled with in this last set of chapters is that you just you don't have a ton of action you have a lot of reported action which i do like when you compare and contrast like the letters from james and isabella but it's just like i feel like this last bit of the book kind of dragged for me a little bit but i also thought that this would be an interesting opportunity like for Catherine to actually face some real danger or like demonstrate some real growth in any kind of like situation even if it's like her you know getting on the coach and realizing that she doesn't have enough money or like someone trying to take advantage of her or anything like it just is kind of like and then she got on the coach and nothing happened it just kind of like deflates for me a little bit I think the bit where Eleanor comes in and says like oh you have to leave like I know it's not action it's like a conversation but it's like a moment 
Like I don't when I read it, I don't like miss. I'm fine with the carriage bit. I could have done without the trip to that Allen's that's coming up. Like those the chapters <laughs> that come afterwards could be shorter. But this bit, um, because I think the thing, like again, it's one of those things where Austin is like specifically doing the thing, uh, not doing the thing that the reader's expecting. So she's yeah. like, oh, you want there like to for something to go wrong and for it to be and it's all it's just the societal thing like it is really risky for that to happen it is bad that he's doing it but actually she's okay and then her family's response to it when she gets home is just like oh wow well you you got home all right that's you know that's the silver lining that's pretty good and I think the comedy of that like I know that she's subverting sort of the expectation here I just am like oh it would carry weight if something happened on this carriage yeah. like yeah. I feel like it, it could be a moment I'm fine without that moment I'm kind of like Northanger Abbey loses a star for me here wow this is the moment I know I know I was reading it as well because um, before she leaves she's like oh I can't I can't think of anything I could have done to upset the general and I'm reading <laughs> it and I'm like Catherine you uh, told his son that you murdered his his wife, he <laughs> snuck around his house at, at night, like trying to, you know, like on your own, trying to figure out where the murder scene happened. Yeah. And I was really disappointed in her that she like didn't have that realization. And then it's in yes. the carriage that she's like, well, you know, I only told Henry that there's no way the general knows. Yeah, and even yeah. if he did know, he'd never do that just because I accused him well, of being a murderer. <laughs> I feel like even, so I think that's, that's why I, want something to happen here like even if it's like one moment with like a scary guy while they're like changing horses or something for her to have this moment of like oh this is actually not safe and actually this is not okay nah it's fine And for her to have like i want catherine to have some sort of like realization and i think that's uh that would be a great time for it uh even if nothing like even happens happens just a moment of growth just feels like a missed opportunity for me well i guess we can't agree on that point but we'll move on that's fine it happens i wish she had the realization about the murder thing just in the previous chapter and then it's just we get straight to the next bit because there's this the paragraph where jane austen kind of explains that she's subverting it and i just wish we got there sooner yeah yeah instead of having like the weird half a page where nothing's happening i feel like if nothing's gonna happen let's just let's just tell the joke and move on because and the quote is a heroine returning at the close of her career to her native village in all the triumph of recovered reputation and all the dignity of a countess with a long train of noble relations in their several phaetons and three waiting maids in a traveling chase and four behind her is an event on which the pen of the contriver may well delight to dwell it gives credit to every conclusion and the author must share in the glory she so liberally liberally bestows but my affair is wildly different i bring back my heroine to her home in solitude and disgrace no sweet elation of spirits can lead me into minuteness a heroine in a hack post chase is such a blow upon sentiment as no attempt at grandeur or pathos can withstand Swiftly, therefore, shall her postboy drive through the village amid the gaze of Sunday groups and speedy shall be her descent from it. Like, I love that. Just, she leaves at 7am, that paragraph, let's go. Mm -hmm. Red pen. Like, 
Because she's saying, there. like, her whole thing is like, you don't need the drama. Like, let's just get her in. Get her in the front door and life will continue. Um, so she gets home and I just, every single moment and every single thing about Catherine's family's response is perfect. Like, I love Catherine's family. At the beginning, they're really funny, but they're really funny when she gets back. Um, they're described as being far from an irritable race, far from any quickness in catching or bitterness in resenting affronts. But here, when the whole was unfolded, was an insult not to be overlooked, nor for the first half hour to be easily pardoned. Like, just for the first half hour. It's like yeah, for yeah. half an hour, they're like, they this get is all for it. And I then actually like, was oh, upset at it because I, I, I think the general gets off so like easily. I just, it's funny i'm not upset it's funny and then they go like oh it was a strange business he must be a very strange man yes and that was enough for all their indignation and wonder and it's just you can just sit like for years to come just being like that general is a very strange man remember when he did this like weird thing and you're like it's not weird it was dangerous yeah well i mean i know they've got 10 kids they've got a lot on but yeah all and of her, this also, I think, is to set up too. Is like the the next chapter, maybe, or a couple chapters later, when we when we hear what John Thorpe has been saying about them. Just the contrast between this oh, everything you yeah. just said and what John Thorpe says, yeah. And also, uh, just again, just like reaffirming why Catherine is the way that she is. Yeah, yeah, that's like true. she is a creature of her family. And her mom, her mom's just like, I hope you haven't left anything in the carriage pockets. She's like, did you leave anything yeah. on the bus? You got all your bags? Great. You've Great. been traveling overnight, but you've got all your stuff. Excellent. Get in. Stop crying. Have a cup of tea. So Catherine is, understandably, feeling a little low, but her mom is worried that she is pining for her life of leisure back in Bath or in Northanger Abbey. And she really reminds her that the holiday is over when she says, I hope, my Catherine, that you are not getting out of humor with home because it is not so grand as Northanger. That would be turning your visit into an evil indeed. Wherever you are, <clears throat> wherever you are, you should always be contented, but especially at home, because there you must spend most of your time. Good, good advice. Great there, advice. Actually. Yeah, that's true You're story. Like, Mom, stop there. Excellent. She continues. I did not quite like at breakfast to hear you talk so much about the French bread at Northanger, which I love that quote. Um, also would like to know more about the French bread. <laughs> and Catherine says, I am sure I do not care about the bread. It is all the same to me what I eat, which is such a teenager response, isn't it? Like, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> it's all the same. Bread. It's just Whatever. bread, mom. <laughs> Come on, get a life. Ugh. I do think what's also really interesting here is that Catherine's mom is misreading the situation slightly, right? Like she thinks her daughter is missing the high life, but really she's just a lovesick teen who's just like, I don't care, mom. Yeah, she's just pining after Henry. Mm-hmm. But it, and you know, this, even when we first started doing the show, right, this scene and that Fanny returning to Portsmouth and Mansfield Park scene and the idea that a young woman comes back ruined by her experience and she returns to the family home. And I think this is handling it with humor. And then in Mansfield Park, it's obviously um, darker. Mm-hmm. But the mum, she's just like, oh, there's this very clever essay in one of the books upstairs upon 
much such a subject about young girls that have been spoilt for home by great acquaintance. The mirror, I think. I will look it out for you someday or other because I'm sure it will do you good. So this mum's like, hey, I've read this essay about spoiled bitches. Let me dig it out for you. <laughs> and also, I've told you what it's about before you read it. So hopefully you understand. I want to read it so badly. Like, I, I uh, thought about this essay. I think that's, it's one of those small moments which I just took away the first time I read it. And so mm-hmm. all my life, all of my readings of Jane Austen, I just always think about that essay. But before Mama Morland can give Catherine the essay... Henry appears and the mum's mm-hmm. like, okay, maybe I'll just like put this down for a second. I'll just, this can what's, wait. It's fine. What's great is like when he appears and some, she says something like, you know, like, oh, there's just this man here. He yeah. wasn't here before. Oh, well. And like, this is such, I think Austin writes really good, like awkward meet the parent scenes mm-hmm. where everyone's just kind of sitting around and it's just like really tense. And you're like, uh, you know, like they're really like, um, Mama, why do you keep winking at me like in Pride and Prejudice? And you've just got, yeah. um, you know, like Henry sat there. You can imagine he's surrounded by, if not all of them, a lot of Morelands all yeah. at once. And he's looking out the window, uh, you know, he's sat and he's like, oh, uh, Catherine, I was thinking that I might go and pay my respects to the Allens. Do you think you could show me the way? We could like, we could go together. And her sister goes, <laughs> "Yeah, you, you may see the house from this window, sir was the information on Sarah's side, which produced only a bow of acknowledgement from the gentleman and a silencing nod from her mother. <laughs> Poor Sarah does not get it. No. She didn't she's the get next, it. She's the next Catherine. And this is kind of where it starts to tie up all of those loose ends, doesn't it? Because yeah, it does. Henry uh, explains away the situation. We get an explanation of what John Thorpe's been up to. Austin makes a couple of comments about the nature of their romance. And I think it's this description that I'll read now that puts people off Henry. So I wanted to discuss that with you because I think this Mm -hmm. has come up so much in our conversations over the years about Henry Tilney, to be honest. Though Henry was now sincerely attached to her, Though he felt and delighted in all the excellencies of her character and truly loved her society, I must confess that his affection originated in nothing better than gratitude, or in other words, that persuasion of her partiality for him had been the only cause of giving her a serious thought. It is a new circumstance in romance, I acknowledge, and dreadfully derogatory of an heroine's dignity, but if it be as new in common life, the credit of a wild imagination will at least be all my own. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a big one. Like, I don't hate Henry for it because all of the things that you want, he recognises how excellent his character, her character is. He is sincerely attached to her. He truly loves her society, right? She's saying, like, all mm-hmm. of these excellent things have happened. It's only that, like the seed or like the that initial thing was because she was interested in him and that that just happens yeah I think um you know what's interesting while you were reading that I was thinking about another relationship that formed I think ingratitude as the seed which I believe is Catherine and Isabella because really that's like the beginning of it. Like, you know, Catherine, Catherine's very lonely in Bath. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just like, oh my God, we're here all alone at this ball. Like, I just wish someone would talk to us. And then finally, 
you know, they make the acquaintance of the Thorps and it's just like a big sigh of relief. It's just yeah. like, okay, we can talk to somebody. If the sorry, if the end of something can be one person liking someone more, then like obviously the start of something can also be that. Like it's not saying that he never takes her seriously. It's just like at the beginning, it's, you know, the only reason he gave her serious thought was because she liked him. And that I think it's fine. I don't want to be like a Henry Tilney apologist just for the sake of like defending a male character in a book. But I don't think what Austin is describing here is an unhappy relationship because the first half of the sentence is all of the other stuff that a healthy, happy relationship would need. Sincere attachment, like respect of her character and like enjoying her company. Yeah, I think she's trying to do something with like the circumstances which which under which people meet i think that's what she's trying to do um with like these characters just trying to think about it in terms of like you know a great romance in like maybe gothic terms or you know a great romance in a novel would be more of like a thorpe catherine setup in a sense, just on paper, not like who they are, but just like, oh, and then this carriage pulled up in the middle of town mm-hmm. and it happened to be my brother and this dashing, handsome young man. And that's how we met. And that's a very romantic scenario, but obviously not meant to be. So I think maybe she's trying to make co- like a comment on like the way that people meet and like the and yeah, I'm just working that out now. But I just think that maybe that's really interesting. I think it, yeah, I just think it's one of those things. It's an easy soundbite to just kind of take the second half where she's like, I must confess that his affection originated in nothing better than gratitude. And that on its own is like, oh shit, like it's pretty damning. But it's like, I think you're quoting, there's some convenient quoting going on there. So I think, you know, like I will say, Henry is not my favorite. All of our experts have been totally on different pages like Mm Janine is like neutral um Helena not a fan you know Lydia definitely a fan so I think we've kind of covered him from all angles but I will say that um the one thing I have appreciated like during this reading is looking at the way Catherine is responding to Henry because you know we do have some speeches where Henry is a bit mansplaining and he's going on a bit but she's into it yeah so It's her thing. That's her bag. And then also like the actions of Henry here, like the easiest thing for Henry to do is just to move on with his life after Catherine leaves Northanger. But he doesn't. No, he like like, comes to the home, he sits with her family, he apologizes. And I think even if he hadn't explained and proposed, I think he still would have gone and made right with the family. I think he proposes because he's in love with her. I don't think he proposes because his father kicked her out at night. But I do think he would have gone and said something to her father or just, you know, tried to sort it out. And then also there's like all of the years that they have to wait. They aren't immediately able to marry just because Henry's proposed. He has to go back to Woodston. You know, he is trying to make some money. I think there's like a line about how he goes off and he's like looking at all of his plantations and uh, like forests, not, you know, sugar plantations. Um. And he's like thinking of the future and she's just at home with her family, just waiting, just waiting for the general to change his mind because her, her family like sounds great, 
but they're also people of honor because as much as John yeah. Thorpe has done to kind of get the uh, get people to think otherwise in recent times, like they are sensible, they are a respectable family. They're not just going to marry their daughter off to um, the son of a man who has done that secretly or without his consent. So that's yeah. their main thing. But like, it's fine. Just but please, just get your dad to to be on board. So. Yeah. This is all making me think, too, like the narration and the dialogue, I think, in Northanger Abbey is very tricky. But what you have to really maybe look at is the actions of the characters. Mm -hmm. Just strip all that away. And then you really sort of like get what they're about. Like Henry's not my favorite dude, but I I do think he's a decent man. Yeah. I don't want to marry him. But, you know, like, that's fine. I don't have to. Catherine. I'd marry him so I can hang out with his dad. (laughs) Yeah. Just, just marry the general, man. No, I don't, because he. Then you get me. the money. Then you. <laughs> I don't know. I met this girl. She told me that he killed his first wife. So <laughs> there's some bad, bad there's rumors going bad around about you. On. Her mum does make a really funny remark as well, because um, you know, in Pride and Prejudice, when uh, Mister Bennett is kind of like joking about how Jane and Bingley are going to be. Um, like soft touches and everyone's gonna like ask them for money and like mm. take advantage of them and uh, Catherine's mum is just like oh Catherine would make a sad heedless young housekeeper but there's nothing like practice <laughs> she's like I this mean I feel bitch. like that kind of like sums up the whole <laughs> yeah thing about Catherine Everything Catherine's mum has said has just been solid gold mum content. I think <laughs> I think Mrs. Morland might be the best mum. Um, so wrapping it up here, one big thing that does happen, uh, Eleanor marries a man of good fortune that summer. So, you know, some months have gone by and the general is so happy that he can be a fool if he likes it. I mean, he just is in general, right? He just gives up. He's just like, I don't give a shit anymore. <laughs> Henry Great. can just my, do what he wants. My empire is secure. Yeah. Um, it also helps that uh, he discovers that Catherine has 3,000 pounds. So she's not as poor as JT had led him to believe. So that's good. It's funny, isn't it? Because she's not as rich as John Thorpe told anyone, but she's also not as poor as John Thorpe then told yeah. anyone, which is what's, you know, the big the big reveal is just, oh, yeah. yeah, John Thorpe, who lied to the general, lied to the general some more. So, like, the general and John Thorpe are both assholes. That's the yeah. takeaway. They really ruined it. <laughs> they really did. But this bit with Eleanor, I think, is interesting as well, because it's another example of Austin's like narrative voice coming through in this kind of like brief history and epilogue of Eleanor Tilney, like one mm-hmm. paragraph right at the end. The marriage of Eleanor Tilney, her removal from all the evils of such a home as Northanger had been made by Henry's banishment to the home of her choice and the man of her choice is an event which I expect to give general satisfaction among all her acquaintance. My own joy on the occasion is very sincere. I know no I know no one more entitled by unpretending merit or better prepared by habitual suffering to receive and enjoy felicity. And like it goes on, I mean that's not the whole quote, it goes on. It's yeah, longer. It and it just takes me out of the book. And I'm sorry to critique or criticise Jane Austen because Lord knows I will never be the writer she is but it feels really heavy handed and it's moments like this that just make me think yes young writer 
still figuring it out because she does stuff like this in her other novels but so much more skillfully and it's less of like a dollop like in the middle it's like way more woven into it and it just you can see the writer she's going to be and you read it and you're like oh I get why it got shelved it's interesting because like that line is um it's sort of gothic in that way of like the way you escape a bad home is through this marriage, mm-hmm. right? So I kind of see maybe that's where she's going. Like that's what she's going for. But also it kind of makes you go, wait, what's going on with Eleanor? <laughs> did I miss, yeah. like, you just kind of like, go, did I miss something with Eleanor? Is she supposed to be bigger than she is? And what what's going, like it makes you feel like there's Austin something else really, to it too. Austin really likes her. And it's really yeah. clear. But just because you really like a character doesn't... Like, she doesn't give us an epilogue for anyone else. Yeah. Like, I mean, well, there's a bit about um, Catherine and Henry that comes after, but, like, none of the other side characters. And, it, yeah, it just feels a bit like... So the book is... Like, who's the main character? I don't... Yeah, you go, it oh, just, is Eleanor the, the, the hero of this story? What was going she re- on there? She really likes Eleanor. Like, she really likes yeah. her. And that's great. But I don't know and- that we need it. And Eleanor would be an interest. I mean, she would be a great gothic heroine, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. Like, that is really her journey in the book. Like, dead mom, weird dad, lots of money. Like, she'd be a really interesting Austin character, to be honest. Like, <laughs> you know, you've got the beginnings of almost an Anne Elliot there, don't you? Where, yeah. oh my God, yeah, because you've got the wealthy, I mean, not the retrenched, uh, retrenchment part but like an early engagement that's cut off because he doesn't have enough money and then eventually he gets money and then it elevates her status and so the dad's pleased so yeah, yeah. she is she's a good austin character she's Anne elliot <laughs> she reads a lot as well she's proto yeah. Anne, who is my favorite aust eleanor is austin's favorite there we go yeah, i've solved there it is I've solved it yeah we figured it out all right okay i still don't like it but also it's like <laughs> And also that because it's an epilogue that serves to it's too neat the ending as well. It's yeah, very sudden, isn't it? It's just like oh, and then the general was fine, and then they got married, and it's all yeah. good. And also that guy who I'm talking to, um, this is later on in the quote, but like the chest with the laundry papers was the guy that Eleanor liked before, and it's all just like squashed in right at the yeah, end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like, oh wait, what? <laughs> so much happening just in this one bit. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's too much. Hannah, read us the last line here of Northanger Abbey. I leave it to be settled by whomsoever it may concern whether the tendency of this work be altogether to recommend parental tyranny or reward filial disobedience. Filial. I can't say it. Filial. What do you think about that? I think it's definitely rewarding parental tyranny. Because <laughs> the general comes off tops. Yes. <laughs> My big the problem. main man. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, I think again, it's. I feel bad because I I like Northanger Abbey and I enjoyed mm-hmm. this read along. And then just I hadn't even really thought about it when I read the chapter. But when I was writing up the notes, I think it's like an unsatisfying ending, and maybe it's because I now work for a scientific journal about data, right? But I feel like she's asking us this question but she's not giving us all of the data because <laughs> we only know what happens to Catherine and Henry and Eleanor. 
but what happens to the Thorpes and what happens to Captain Tilney? And yeah. how am I meant to answer the question of whether or not the work is to recommend parental tyranny or reward filial disobedience when the the filials that were disobeying aren't all rounded up at the end? And we don't know what happens to the general. It's a false question. It doesn't Yeah. We don't have we can't answer it. And so it's a lovely line. But my God, mm-hmm. Austin, like, don't don't ask me a question without giving me the information I need. I can't yeah. answer it. I don't I don't know, Jane. I don't know the answer to your question. Don't. Why are you asking me? Shall we read some uh, some listener comments? Oh, I think we should because we have been chatting shit for too so long. long. So long. Okay. So this was uh, one of my favorite quotes, actually. Let's give it quote of the week from Sarah Rose. And uh, this is sort of about our shift in our perception of Jane Austen and sort of understanding what Austen's trying to do here. So she says, Jane Austen's role in our current pop culture strongly resembles Anne Radcliffe's in the late 18th, early 19th centuries. In her own time, Austen was considered exceptional for the realism and even blandness of her stories. Walter Scott described her as keeping close to common incidents and such characters as occupy the ordinary walks of life. Radcliffe and Scott, in contrast, wrote A, historical fiction that was B, highly emotional and romantic, and C, typically featured nobly born or ultra wealthy characters. Nowadays, of course, those are features that many of us see in Austen's work. For example, Mr. Darcy ruined me for other men memes. And I think she would be quite surprised if she knew. I mean, yes. How many thumbs up can I give it? And I will say that, uh, especially when we first started doing the podcast, uh, I used to get very frustrated being Team Austin sometimes because I felt like Team Bronte really understood the Brontes. And when you're Team Austin, you are battling against like just swathes of people who haven't read the books or like, Mm -hmm. and there's nothing wrong with that, but there's the perception or the brand of Austin, which I think is what Sarah is getting at. Right. And it's just, I think with Austin, it's just not it. I mean, you find this with all female writers, right? But Austin definitely, especially is the reduction of the work. And also like the, just the conflation of wealth, like people lived in different houses and those people are wealthy, but also it's, it's subjective and it's within that society and she isn't writing about the very wealthiest people and it's worth remembering that yeah that that wasn't her life experience and for many of her characters that's not their experience so yeah yeah so on the topic of Catherine we had great comments and Lauren I think you were the one that brought up uh, initially the comparison between Northanger Abbey and Emma and I will say as well, so many comparisons just to all of her books. Mm-hmm. She only wrote six, I guess. So yeah. there's not that many to compare <laughs> to. But definitely um, the comparisons between the friendships that take center stage in both of those novels. Yeah. So here's what I wrote. Since seeing Emma, I find myself comparing and contrasting the Harriet-Emma relationship with the Isabella-Catherine friendship. Just thinking about the power dynamics in those relationships. Both Harriet and Catherine are sweet, but not so savvy girls who have the right instincts, but get derailed by a BFF with an agenda. And just can I 
add too, because I do think a little bit in no. the comments that <laughs> some of this was misunderstood. I'm also not making a complete one-to-one comparison between mm-hmm. these characters and their personalities. What I'm really interested with Austin is um, her her interest, her writing about power dynamics in relationships, particularly female friendships. But what I really liked, so um, Rachel said in response to that, um, she said, I think Catherine is more like Emma than she is like Harriet. Both create fantasies about people and then use those fantasies to explain what's going on as if they were the only possible explanation. Mm -hmm. Emma does this with Harriet, but also with Jane Fairfax and her relationship with Mr. Dixon. And of course, Catherine does it with General Tilney and his wife. And then this was the bit that I really liked. Emma's actions have more serious consequences because she has more agency to act in the real world, while Catherine's misconceptions remain in her head and Henry's discovery shames and educates her easily without changing his feelings for her. And that's where the power and money stuff comes into it again, right? And the difference that it makes. So when Austen writes about a character like Emma, who is really wealthy, the um, consequences of what those characters do are very different to when she's writing about someone like Catherine Morland. Right. And so just to our earlier point about kind of forgetting that about Austen, it really affects the way that you read it. So I thought mm-hmm. that was um, a lovely point about uh, Catherine and Emma's like differing positions in society. Mm-hmm. My big thing with Catherine is that I think that she's more of a strategy than a fully realized character. But I will say what I do appreciate about her is that she is someone that's growing and learning, although sometimes a little bit slower than I would like. Mm. But um, I do especially appreciate like the bits of the text where Catherine is demanding that characters say what they mean rather than Mm -hmm. dance around the subjects like with niceties. So um, she's someone without artifice, which can make her somewhat dull and not super sparkling on the page but it works really really well when she's contrasted with someone like Isabella and even some of her exchanges with the like overly verbose Henry who is you know too concerned with the foibles of others so I think she's like she's a strategy but also the thing that's nice about her is that when she does do something because it's a nice to see like uh when James is like oh what do you think about John Thorpe and like the the book acknowledges why someone would say, oh yeah, he's really nice. Or like when someone says, oh, did you have a nice time? And it's like, she's the guest of the Allens. They've gone to all of this trouble of taking her to Bath. So of course she's going to say, and it explains like the little white lies as well. So even when she's doing it, it kind of justifies when she is not saying what she means. Mm -hmm. So like the whole book is about it. Like even... Like even when the main character is not saying what she means, the book is saying like, and this is this is why you can't. This is why right. you're completely constrained by what society expects you to. Right. Which makes those moments when she does stand up or say or demand from people like all the more powerful. Because yes. like even she's doing it sometimes, but mm-hmm. on like a minute level. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Lauren, I know you don't want to, but I've got loads of, we got so many comments about Henry. <laughs> So we do have to talk about him some more. Yeah, we do. Yeah, let's let's go for it. Valentina shared uh, what I it just struck me as just a really nice Henry moment, mm-hmm. right? And he said, "Your brother is certainly very much to be pitied at present, but we must not, in our concern for his sufferings, undervalue yours." He's just like internally shaking his head at how dumb James is. Um, Lexington said, 
You have Isabella and John very clearly manipulating Catherine with varying levels of success. But as this is now the second time I've read it and I know all the plot points, you also have Henry Tilney and his father operating under the assumption that Catherine is or will be very rich. It makes me heavily question Henry's flirting in the first half of the book. Would he have given her a second thought if she was not connected with the Allens otherwise? And then Laurie responded to that comment saying, funnily enough, Catherine is rejected for her poverty, but second to Emma, she is the most well-off of Austin's heroines. Well, depending on how much of Anne's dowry is available anyway, it may be held in better trust than the rest of the Elliot money. So it's just, you know, um, the whole thing is like, she doesn't have any money. Even I was saying it just now and I was like, she doesn't, you know, she's not as wealthy as Emma. Mm -hmm. Like, Everyone is speculating about her money, how much she has. She's got more than people think she's going to have. She's not She's not poor. She's not super rich. Henry doesn't know how much money she's got. The Thorpes don't know how much money she's got. Yeah. I think. But I do, it is worth, it is worth questioning what Henry's motives are in terms of money because it never mm-hmm. comes up in the book. It's never, it's never mentioned yeah. by the narrator or in any, any dialogue. It is curious and it really struck me more so when they were at Northanger Abbey and they were commenting on Isabella's fortune because they were like sizing her up for, you know, for the captain. And they're like, come on, like, that's not going to work. Dad's never going to go for that. So it makes me wonder what sort of private conversations Eleanor and Henry have had Mm -hmm. um, with regards to Catherine and her fortune, but also keeping in mind that like the captain is the firstborn son. So like, I'm sure that like, a, 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 a second a second son situation yeah so like yeah. it's a bit more serious for the captain and i'm sure yeah. that's yeah that's it's a bit more of a situation and also eleanor eleanor also fell in love with and tried to marry someone who didn't have much money and ultimately does end up marrying him at the end of the book so even mm-hmm. if they are having those conversations i imagine but again this is a lot of projection because it's not there. So we yeah. will never know. This isn't the sort of thing that we can like say for yeah, sure. We don't know. Yeah. But like my reading of it would be that they would, it would be like, let's, let's see how it plays out. You know? Yeah. They don't know what's going to happen. They don't know. They can only ask her. I don't see Henry and Eleanor ever asking her in the way John Thorpe was because right. John Thorpe asking her about money all the time and talking about money was rude and mm-hmm. they're not rude so they're not going to out outwardly ask her but they've got to be assuming that if she's there with the Allens who even if they aren't the Allens they're still in Bath they're yeah. still looking after her they're still giving her a certain quality of life so I think they're just imagining her to be like fine right fine money not too poor not too rich just fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rachel said that Henry's speeches to Catherine are a lot shorter by the end of the book uh, than at the beginning, which is true. Um, I did actually notice that as well. Uh, even on the trip to Northanger, his teasing descriptions of the horrors she will find there seem a little unusual for him. As his affection for her grows, his speech diminishes. It's also interesting to see Henry learning from Catherine's response to his discovery of her suspicions. I had forgotten how early in her visit that happens and how gentle he is with her afterwards. Um, Yeah, I forgot how early that happens as well. Um, And then like Catherine's got to live with it. (laughs) 
Yeah, Awkward. and she has to stay in the house. Yeah. Because I guess there's the temptation to be like, she says that, and then if you were adapting it, and then just have her go and yeah. like cut those quiet moments. But actually, you kind of need them just to prove that like it is a relationship that can survive discomfort yeah. and disagreement. Yeah, it's, which is important. It's their first conflict. Yeah. Exactly. I think, I really do think that Austin goes to great lengths to just show them to be like a good match. Mm hmm and a happy family. And speaking of family, our next set of comments are all about that. So uh, Kira Bell shared a great quote, summing up the Morelands. You know, I love the Morelands. Her own family were so plain matter, her own family were plain matter of fact people who seldom aimed at wit of any kind. Her father at the utmost being contented with a pun and her mother with a proverb. (laughs) They were not in the habit, therefore, of telling lies to increase their importance or of asserting at one moment what they would contradict the next. Yeah. Now, Austin never says anything about the Thorpes otherwise, but all of their actions contradict with that. And I think that she is um, going so deep in... uh, to telling you like this is what the Morelands are like so that you question what everyone else is like without her having to explain it Mm -hmm. so you set up like the baseline and then everyone else is compared to that Uh, Valentina says we see Catherine in her own family more in the last set of chapters and I love how they tease one another and care for each other her mother's comments are sometimes very blunt they need to be (laughs) yeah just a little she's got to (laughs) be Catherine ain't getting it otherwise. Uh, But they seem to be said with such affection and humour that we are not supposed to take them as true criticism. It is easy to see why she is who she is and it it seems to fit her out for giving Henry and Eleanor the type of family they both long for and deserve. Mm -hmm. Now that comment made me think about a thread that Neve started, uh, which started to dig into the parallels between Northanger Abbey and Mansfield Park, which I've been making for years for very different reasons about the spoiled child, like going home thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, but this comment made me think that you've got these two girls who end up almost being like the perfect balm to the families that they join. Yeah. Except the difference between Catherine and Fanny is that one was groomed for a life of caregiving while the other one has been left to muddle it out for herself she's had some freedom and liberty and now she's per- she's a perfect companion rather than this kind of married servant yeah so again come at me fanny stands <laughs> um here's the original comment from neve Catherine's innocence throughout the novel, which somehow remains relatively unexploited by others is a deliberate ploy by austin in my opinion She's the daughter of a clergyman who marries a clergyman. She assumes the best of everyone, as Henry rightly observes. She is flattered about her beauty, but never takes it to heart like Isabella. She faces trials, but faces them with courage. She is never once tempted to behave improperly, once she knows that it's wrong. And that wonderful proposal scene with, the Thor- with Thorpe had me convinced it's not so much that she misunderstands him, it's that she is immune yeah, that's a good mm, word for that. Yeah. yeah, I think so. And every character that does wrong has the chance to be redeemed through Catherine. Some change and grow, Henry and James. Some don't, the Thorpes. But she always gives them a chance. I think Mansfield Park perhaps does this more effectively, 
but a comparison between the Thorpes and the Crawfords and Catherine and Fanny as protagonists would be really interesting. It's almost like she was in training to write Mansfield Park here. And then they both go home and both of their mums are like, you're ruined. (laughs) I um, actually taking that back to like friendships and power dynamics. I also like had that thought when I was thinking about like Fanny and Mary, like Fanny, Mm -hmm. Mary, Emma, Harriet, Catherine, Isabella, just like the power dynamics in those friendships and how they're like. Lucy Steele and Eleanor. Yeah. It just, you know, the, the steerage. Mm -hmm. of an influential friend. I think that's interesting. That's something, um, I just, it's something that I feel like doesn't jump out at me right away in other novels. Whereas with Austin, I feel like you get it right away. You're like, okay, this friendship is a situation. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's very interesting. I wonder what um, Jane Austen would think of uh, my year of rest and relaxation. I can imagine Jane Austen just like, have you read it? I haven't read it yet. It's about toxic friendship. <laughs> it's about okay. a lot of things, but one, there's a very toxic friendship in it. And I just, yeah, I can, that's a book I can see Austen just reading and being like, oh, <laughs> and like really appreciating. Well, I have 12 audible credits, so I will get that one next. Give it a go. Yeah. So obviously no Northanger Abbey read along could be complete with listener comments without a little mention to the Thorpes, everyone's favorite family. Mm-hmm. Gotta love those guys. All right. So Rachel said, one thing I realized about Isabella's talk is that she takes both parts of the dialogue herself and thus urges herself in Catherine's name to do what she wanted to do in the first place. So it's not that she doesn't hear Catherine. It's that she appropriates Catherine's voice for her own thoughts. Yeah, I thought that was a really good point because I think that yeah. was in um, response to one of the earlier episodes when we were to- talking about the fact that uh, Isabella's always like talking over Catherine. Mm-hmm. But actually, it's it's smarter than that. Like it isn't just, it's not bullish in the way that John Thorpe is. I think John yeah. isn't as smart as his sister, but also True. she's not, but neither of them, are, they don't win. So they're not as smart as either of them think they are anyway. Yeah, uh, Rachel went on to say in another comment about John Thorpe, And this one's quite sad. Uh, (laughs) I don't think John Thorpe is surrounded with love. I don't see any love. Mrs. Thorpe seems to see her two oldest children as reflections of herself and as her way to rise in the world. That degree of insincerity wouldn't have resulted from love in two kids like John and Isabella. Rather, I see Henry and Eleanor as reflecting their mother's love in their love for each other. Children raised with love learn to love and neither Isabella nor John is capable of loving. True. Yeah. 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 They're all about the climb. And then final quote, uh, final quote, final comment from Neve about I like this scene too. I'd forgotten somehow my absolute favourite part of the novel when John Thorpe heavily hints at a wedding between him and Catherine. Catherine, unintentionally, provides so many cutting lines which anyone but Thorpe would view as a rejection. And yet I don't believe she has any idea of what he's getting at or how he thinks she feels about him. The end of the conversation and to marry for money, I think the wickedest thing in existence is perfection. I think I prefer it to Colin's proposal in Pride and Prejudice. I like that scene as well. I think yeah. that scene's really funny. I Actually, I think 
the thing about Northanger Abbey is that it's a really, um, it really lends itself to adaptation because I do think it's mm-hmm. actually very visual. And I would yeah, love definitely. to see that played out. Like I, I read that scene and I was like, oh, you know what? I would like to see this like on stage or in a yeah. movie. Okay, guys. Um, this was an extra long episode, but we just really had to. Nothing else to do. We had nothing <laughs> else to do. Because we were all on lockdown. <laughs> you should read this word for word. Yeah, I should. <laughs> should read what Hannah has written for me word for word, which is thanks to everyone for taking part. Blah, blah, blah. Couple of watch longs and prep for next week's episode. Blah, 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 blah. If you want more information, it'll be over at your <laughs> over on social media. Hannah, what is the internet joke? <laughs> Am I wrong? You're not wrong. Not at all. Do it. <laughs> you can find us as always on Instagram and Twitter at bonnets at dawn. You can email us bonnets at dawn at gmail.com and you can find us on Facebook by searching bonnets at dawn. You've got to answer those questions. You've got to agree to the rules. We're not letting you in otherwise. I'm yeah. sorry. True so story. many requests coming in. <laughs> Come on. You can do it. You can do it. I believe in you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.